What does a long-haired tabby, an old-timey prospector, and Fark have in common? This episode of the Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Drew Curtis from the website FARC. He is an internet entrepreneur and an author. It's going to be great to have him on the show. We have an old-timey prospector, Jasper Jones, and of course, Judy Scheinbaum answers all your questions on today's episode of the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Jesus Art. Jesus Art, because nothing says, I'm your savior, like a man in cowboy boots. Oh God, you devil. Or maybe he's just a speed demon. Heathens, have you heard the good news? Tele-evangelist Pat Robertson says speeding may be a violation of man's law, but as far as God is concerned, it's totally cool. In statements that made God sound more like a 17-year-old schoolboy than a rarefied deity, Robertson told the faithful masses last week that God doesn't care if you speed. In fact, he said, the boss upstairs has given him carte blanche to gun it and the better your engine, the better. I had a 450 horsepower Corvette, but God kind of hinted that I might want to upgrade, and now I'm in a sweet little 650, Robertson said. He also revealed that he's in the process of rebranding the 700 Club, making it part faith-based talk show and part muscle car ministry. That's the 700 Horsepower Club to you, Robertson quipped. He went on to praise the promised land of Texas highways because of their lack of posted speed limits, saying... I mean, God wants you to stretch it out and see what that bad boy can do. Just be careful, Robertson added, not to drive too recklessly, because that's the one thing that God is not down with. A highway safety tip from our father? Just blow your horn like Joshua at the walls of Jericho, and you'll be just fine. Look out, pie-slingers. A disgruntled gang of British pastry enthusiasts is fed up with the state of crusty dishes in their country, and they're not going to take it anymore. Calling themselves 314 after the first three digits in mathematical pi, the group has issued what it calls its Panifesto, in which they rail against the sad state of pie affairs. For too long, customers in pubs and restaurants have been ordered what is described on the menu as a pie, only to be served a casserole covered by a puff pastry lid. This is not a pie, and it is also, curiously, difficult to consume. They note that a pie must have a top and a base of pastry to keep everything from getting disorderly. Speaking on the condition of anonymity, one member said, You can't have your peas and potatoes sliding all around your plate in some sloppy mess. It's everything that's wrong with this country. The petition urges criminal sanctions against the owners of food outlets that serve items wrongly described as pies. Sound extreme? They consider this matter crucial to preserving the integrity of British cultural heritage no matter how flaky the notion may be. Turning to international news, the French have long hit back against claims that they are lazy, but a recent ruling by France's Ministry of Housing may actually prove that the French are the laziest people on earth. In a joint decision with the Ministry of Ecology, lawmakers decided to do away with legislation that required toilets to be kept separate from kitchens and living rooms in French homes. Eating dinner or watching TV and feel the call of nature? No longer do you have to trouble yourself to walk all the way to the bathroom or even expend the energy to hit the pause button on your DVR. 
Place your toilet cleverly enough, and you can take a leak while you stir your cocoa van. This is the best thing ever, said one man waiting in a long line to file a building permit to relocate his toilets. I might actually be able to conserve enough energy this way and finally go back to work. It's been 10 years since I've had a job because I get so tired always having to walk back and forth to the bathroom. And employers are taking the hint, trying to fast-track similar legislation that would apply to places of business. Three of France's largest corporate employers have already proposed some form of combination desk-toilet apparatus. They anticipate this will improve worker productivity nearly 5,000%. There are, as of yet, no estimates on the impact all this flushing will have on the French sewer system. But one thing is for sure, no matter how much debris is in that sewer system, nothing can smell worse than brie. Turning to the highlands, if the Scots are famous for one thing, it's getting their drink on. In an effort to quell the ever-problematic issues rampant alcoholism brings to the country, the government has been secretly funding a project that they hope will help the nation get off the bottle. The prestigious Edinburgh University, in partnership with Johnny Walker Distillery, announced last week that they have successfully created the world's first permanently scented fabric. And now the Scots can smell like their favorite tweed spirit. Whiskey, to be exact. The scent has been designed to duplicate the aroma of Scott's preferred tipple, and according to the head of the finishing department at the Harris Tweed Mill, this fabric has a nose of rich malt, golden vanilla, red fruit, and dark chocolate. After witnessing some factory workers licking and sucking on the fabric in ecstasy, one government inspector said he knew that they had hit the mark. The factory workers were given several bolts each of the cloth, and after two weeks all reported that after swaddling themselves in the soft brownish woolen, their alcohol consumption decreased by 40%. We couldn't in our wildest dreams have hoped for better, the government said. Initially, the fabric will only be available by prescription, but it is hoped that by spring of 2015, an over-the-counter version will be available and stocked in pharmacies and liquor stores countrywide. And that's been it for News in My Orbit. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Soup Kitchens. Soup kitchens, because who needs soup more, the homeless or a teenager with braces? Buddha. Today on the Buddhaverse, we have a special guest with us, someone who has not yet been on the show, but we've wanted to have him here for quite some time. With us today, we have masterminder Jasper Jones in a segment we like to call Pleasant Prospects. Minor Jones, you're on the Buddhaverse. Welcome to the show. Oh, Emery, it's good to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's time to prospect and think about all those things that are masterminding in my head. Um, Jasper Jones, uh, are you sure this is the right place for you? Oh, yes, of course. We got a lot of things to talk about, so let's get with it, young whippersnapper. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things going around in here, and I was in Compton the other day, and I'll tell you what, oh, it's crazy down there. Um, well, before you continue, are you sure you're qualified to talk about Compton? Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. It's in California. I know everything about California. I was there in 1892 for, for those uh, great old uh, uh, oil rushes and gold rushes and all kinds of rushes. I, nothing really panned out for me, but, you know, it was a good time. It was a real, real, really good time. All right, uh, Jasper Jones, go ahead. Tell us what you experienced in Compton. 
Oh, I'll tell you what, this is crazy. People had what they called the grills. I haven't seen that much gold in the ground, let alone in people's teeth. I tell you what, it's a city full of g just gosh, golly, lots of rich people in Compton. I don't know where to get it, but they had the gold chains and the, the gold necklaces and gold everywhere, especially in the teeth. Um, oh dear. Uh, Prospector, uh, Jones, I think that maybe this might not be the forum to talk about the golden... Compton. Oh, of course it is. I'll tell you what, people need to be thoughtful about such things. If you just keep flashing that gold around, you might as well be saying you're a 49ers fan instead of the Raiders. And I know how those people feel about the Raiders. And when I say those people, I mean Californians. Okay. Well, Jasper Jones, is there anything else you want to talk about from Compton? Oh, I'll tell you what. The, sh the, the, the gold isn't just in their people's mouths and teeth. Oh, no, it's, it's littered on the, on, the, on, the, on the street corners. I, I'll tell you what. I saw a burrito uh, wrapped in gold, gold foil. It was amazing. All right. Well, thank you, Jasper Jones. It's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, thank you, Emery. I'd like to use my master mining skills any time I can, so you just have me on whenever you want. All right, Jasper Jones, we'll do that. We'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of The Booterverse is brought to you by Extension Cords. Extension Cords. Sure, you only needed two slots for those three prongs. Welcome back, everyone. Now it's time for the woman who has all the answers to all your questions. It's now time for The Last Lung with Judy Scheinbaum. Judy, we're glad to have you back on the show. Oh, Emery, it's so good to see you. I have a lot of questions I need to answer, so let's just get to it. Our first question is from Alma in Petersboro, Massachusetts. She says, My niece wants to start waxing her upper lip. She's 12. Should I let her? Sweetheart, people always ask me about upper lip waxing, and let me tell you, let the wax fly. It should be like a Yankee Candle factory up in there. You need to heat it up, slap it on, strip it off. It'll be great for her upper lip and great for you. You'll look 12 years younger, and that's just because she'll look like an infant. Next. This next question is from Bernice in Calgary, Alberta. I think that's in Canada. She says, have you ever cooked with goose fat? Sweetheart, we don't talk about it, but I will say, I hate Canadian geese. They are everywhere, and they are foul. They poop in the most disturbing places. I can't even believe it. You see, what they do is, they just go waddling around everywhere they want to go, and they just go poopity-poop, poopity-poop. It's disgusting. I swear, Benice, it's time to rid the world of Canadian geese. Do you even call them Canadian geese? I don't know, but I don't like them. So will I cook with their fat? Absolutely. Next. Ooh, our next question is from Clem in Sadieville, Kentucky. Clem says, Somebody keeps stealing my nativity figures out of my front lawn. How do I catch them? Well, sweetheart, have you heard of a nanny cam? Just get a Jesus cam. You put that little camera right in the nativity where the baby Jesus should be. Case solved. I'm a regular matlock. Next. Ooh, our next question is from Darlene in Toledo, Ohio. She says, I have to attend a holiday party with a cousin who told me my hair looked like a gray football helmet. I've been trying to think of a good comeback ever since. Do you have any suggestions? Oh, sweetheart, listen, my dear, I am so sorry for you. Why doesn't he try getting a perm and then going out into the real world? It is a hard ache. It is a hardship. It is a travesty to be as beautiful like women like us. I get a perm every Tuesday, and I want to tell you what Sylvia, the woman who does my hair, says to me, Judy, 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 
you'll look like a Raiders fan for the first five hours, but then you're going to look gorgeous. And you know what? She's right. So hold fast, my friend. And remember, if you don't like the way your hair looks, you can always get a job with the Raiders front line. Next. Oh, my dear, this, this is our last question for today. It is from Patty in Shreveport, Louisiana. She asks, Judy, are you all about that base? About that base? Question mark. I'm just curious. Oh, sweetheart, have you heard the sound of my voice? Of course I'm all about that base. That's been it for The Last Lung with Judy. I love you all. Mwah! We'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of The Booterverse is brought to you by Disgruntled Lint Brushes. Disgruntled Lint Brushes, fighting the long-haired tabby since 1975. Farky fark 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 down in the fark Oh, uh, hey everybody, welcome back. I am saying fark because, what the fark? I'm actually sitting here with the creator of fark.com, Drew Curtis, He's a man of many talents, spent some time over in England at one point. We're going to talk about it. Uh, he also just got an MBA for fun because, you know, that's what you do before you come on the Booterverse. Drew Curtis, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for the bourbon, by the way. This is great. Oh, it is in, in the things that we do here. It's a lovely sort of offering that we can give to you as mm -hmm. our guest. You've deigned to come down here from your perch of internet celebrity to come join us, and we appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I just drove across town, actually. It was not that big a deal. I hear what you're saying, but it feels <laughs> so much more. You're a generous man, a man of many means, and also a man of many talents. You have a website. When did you start Fark.com? 1999. 99? Yeah, so we're coming up on 16 years now. Wow, older than most adolescents. You know what's I, weird is we're almost, uh, in the grand scheme of things, as old as the World Wide Web because that thing's only 25 years old. We're 15, which means we keep going. I mean, part of the, the story was I actually reserved the domain name back in 1997, and I left it sit for like a year and a half because I couldn't figure out what the hell to do with it because, I mean, the best websites you had were like GeoCities, just garbage. Basically. Oh, GeoCities. My yeah. God, man. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, there was, no, there was no paradigm for what you might even use a web page for. I mean, Amazon sold a few books at the time. Well, the real problem was, too, is the dot-com one thing was going on, and that was clearly... <laughs> so, you know, that, if, you, if you took that out of the equation, it was like, well, what could actually work on the internet? And the answer was, well, nobody knew. So I was like, well, you know, came up with this idea and just kind of went with it. And what is that idea for those who aren't familiar with FARC.com? Yeah, so uh, we've, I've changed the name over the years of the, of the thing that we are. The easy explanation is it's what if The Daily Show ran The Drudge Report? Although I'm running into people that don't know what The Drudge Report is. so that it, it, Oh, come on. Matt Drudge is a staple on the internet of things that people might not know but kind of want to know but may not actually be real news. It could be FARC. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an offshoot of that, actually. But the problem is I can't pull that one. Like, if I give talks to colleges, they're all like, what? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to have to come up with a new Matt analogy. Drudge is a man that wears a fedora yes. on the internet. Yes. That's, that's what right. he does. That's pretty much it. That's exactly mm. it. But uh, that's he the short explanation. I'd say the longer explanation is... Um, Lately, I've been giving a lot of thought to, uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with people that have been trying to get me hooked into, um, crack. Uh, no, not that exactly. Uh, uh I was going to say semantic uh, text algorithms, but, uh, Oh my gosh. Almost I mean, the same thing. Exactly the same, thing. same thing. I was thinking along those lines. My God, my heroin dealer is completely out of them. But, uh, mm. the, the idea is right now, like there's a lot of companies that are fixated on using semantic language algorithms in order to try to like, you know, decide what content is relevant. But I've been arguing, I do that. I do that myself. Well, actually, we all do, as it turns out. But uh, I've been arguing that there's a second level that they haven't considered, which is that there's actually 
they're under the impression that content will sell itself, and I'm not sold on that. In because fact, they're shit content. Well, it, even even good content. I mean, think about, for example, one of the things that rages people about the news cycle is they don't talk about the important stuff. Now, aside from the fact that what's important has never been a dictator of what's chosen to get into the news cycle, and I mean never. Uh, on top of that, it turns out that uh, we don't care about the stuff that's important. Uh, that's why we don't hear anything about what's going on in Afghanistan. That's why, you know, Syria and ISIS and all that gets only mentioned every time they cut somebody's head off. And the reason is because we don't care. And I can actually say, I can prove this because we know it. That's what these content engines are doing. They're, they're comparing content and trying to figure out what is it that people want based on the content. Well, Kim Kardashian. Cats. Yes. Puns. Yes. Uh, you know, any, any crap out there that can distract. We've always wanted this. And so it's like, they always knew that this was the case, but it didn't really become obvious until the internet came around and we could track it. And the secondary problem of now that content is a la carte, you're kind of stuck having to serve up cats and puns and Kim Kardashian all day long if you want to stay in the business. But I've been arguing that the problem is, is that there's a context thing. The reason why nobody cares about the war is because nobody told them why they should. Mm. I came up with this idea talking to the Pointer Institute years ago. They're, they venerate Walter Cronkite and Edward R. Murrow. And I was like, so why were those guys successful? And they're like, well, they were trustworthy. I'm like, well, that can't be it. I know people who are trustworthy that nobody listens to. And I was like, so well, what could it be exactly? And I realized that it was basically Cronkite actually was the guy. He made the United States care about the Vietnam War in a way that nobody cares about the Afghanistan War. And that's context. And that's something no algorithm in the world is going to be able to predict. And basically, that's what we do at FARC is, although the context is usually check this out, it's funny. Sometimes there's a different twist on it, and it just kind of depends on what it is. But usually it's because it's funny. And that's kind of what The Daily Show does also. They, or actually, the best example probably is um, uh, John, um, John, uh, John Oliver. John Oliver, yeah. Absolutely. Who is the best at laying, laying context over crap nobody cares about but should. Absolutely. Because as you know the trope, Stewart takes news, cuts it apart— and there you go. He dissects right. it. Colbert takes it, dissects it, repurposes it in a new way, funny way, not always a true way, but there you go. Yeah. But John Oliver takes actual historical newsworthy events. Stuff that we should care about. Stuff that we should care about. And in your book, uh, It's Not News, It's Fark, a little plug for the book, you talk about this in 2007. You yeah. talk about the fact that people don't care about actual substantive news. Yep. So, sir, why don't you love the masses? Yeah, uh, they're kind of... You said your... <laughs> this is a quote. You said your grandmother was an idiot. Do you want to take it back? Uh, no, not really, because uh, she is, and so are the masses. The problem with, like, masses is that, like, this is one of the things. There used to be this concept called the wisdom of crowds that people still kick around, but you know what? Crowds are stupid, hungry, and horny. Mm. Uh, there's wisdom in crowds, but it's in individuals, and if they step up to the plate, then the crowd actually gets smart. But if everybody just kind of sits back and lets the, them just sort of the crowd decide what it wants to do, they're going to do dumb shit. They're going to break windows. They're going to steal things. It's what crowds do. So is that why Nickelback had, in fact, a career at all? Yes. Mm. Excellent. Well, that sums that up. Yeah. <laughs> Solved. Mm. God, I've been wrestling with that one for, God, almost a decade. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, seriously, let's putting putting this in a historical context about things people like. Right. You know, even from the days when we had town criers. I'm sure the town crier was, hey, Mary over there was schlupping it with, you know, Lord blah, blah, blah. Oh, but, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, it's always been the case. I mean, right. smut has ruled. Uh, how much of the internet is actual pornography? Do you a know? 80 to 90% probably, I imagine. Mm. At least. Wow. Well, I'm glad we're using that to its full yeah, potential. I'm just guessing, really, but it's probably No, right. I mean, it's a fairly good guess. Yeah, no, I think it's probably right. So I'm curious, why go back for the NBA? Uh, so that was weird. It was because I thought I might like it. 
which isn't the usual reason people do it. Uh, I am, uh, to give you a sort of background, I've, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, even though I can't pronounce the word. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. You have to get the accent right, because if you do not, it sounds like... Yes, exactly. I, uh, oh, or male is the case, maybe. Yeah, there you go. I uh, so I, uh, I I worked my entire work history was nine months out of college and I graduated in '95 and I started mm. my so first the birth company. of a baby the gestation period of a baby yeah, you become I, an entrepreneur that was about the that's when I realized this is bull- <laughs> I don't like working for people this is no fun and so I started a company it failed started a second company it failed started a third company it's this one um, and then had run it up until about 2010 or so I started getting interested in economics because you know the the show of the uh, the Great Recession. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So I, I picked up a book called This Time It's Different, which is like, it's about like this thick, like that's an inch and a half for people who can't see the radio. Uh, and it was about, it was an 800 year uh, study on currency collapses and liquidity crises. Who wrote it? Uh, I forget, but they won a Pulitzer for it. I'm pretty sure. It's a great book. The, the reason it's called This Time It's Different is because that's a joke. It's not. It's, it's never different. That's what the book was about. Absolutely. I mean, let me guess. They referenced the tulip crisis and made it sound sexy again. Uh, no, actually, this was like, well, they did reference it. But this thing by like chapter two, my brain was splitting. I mean, it was it's re- I highly recommend the book, by the way. I mean, if you can hang with it, it's great because it's fascinating how they you know, the, one of the things they pointed out was is this last recession was vastly different than the, the last two. But it's a once in a generation. It's a once in a, uh, a century thing. Happens every 75 years. Coincidentally, just long enough for the last generation who remembers the last time this happened to die is right when the next one hits. Not, and I think there's probably something to it. But at any rate, I read this big, thick book, and I liked it. And I was like, this is really weird. I can't believe I like this stuff. This makes no sense. But my entire life has been accidentally walking into stuff that I liked. Um, for example, I started college being a history major, and I left it as a computer science major because I took a class and I liked the homework. And I thought, you know, if you like the homework, you got to do this. Never thought about being a computer science major, but I'm like, yeah, okay. First company, same thing. I really like, you know, setting up dial-up ISP. I really like setting it up. I could sell it. It worked out great. Second was software design. FARC kind of made sense. So everything in my life pretty much I sort of backed into and went with. Did you back into the goatee that you're wearing right now, sir? I did, as a matter of fact. It is a leftover Halloween costume. And your wife thinks it. She's uh, mm. she's on the fence. Yeah, mm-hmm. they always are. Yeah, I'm mm. still going with it just because it's too much trouble to cut it at this point. I'm very lazy is actually what I'm trying to say about this whole backing into stuff. But my thing is more like when you see something start to go in a direction, whatever the hell it is, even if it's something way beyond anything you ever thought your life would take you to do, just do it. What was the most interesting thing you learned in that MBA? Was it the organizational process, uh, that manuscript of your professor, or was it something else? It was something else. It was actually an insight that I got because, like, so I'm a pattern guy, and my thing is, like, I'm, I'm constantly, like, I, I I receive information on, like, a wide band, so I'm getting stuff all the time. and It, it floats in and out of my head, and occasionally a couple of things will link up. Uh, one of the things I noticed was, and this is just sort of irritating, it was, a, it was an MBA school trope where every time we talked about an individual, it was always a CEO. And I was like, as a CEO of a company myself, I know that that's ridiculous because if I don't have a good team, I'm useless. And in fact, the best example of all is Steve Jobs. Like they kept on trying to talk about how great Steve Jobs is. And okay, great, if he founded Apple, that's pretty fantastic. But here's the problem with Steve Jobs. When Steve Jobs has a bad COO, he's an idiot. He did wear a mock turtleneck, and so do you, sir. Is it an homage? Uh, no, it's just this was on the top of the stack when I walked out of the house. Mm. So. so anyway, so the thing about the CEOs was, is like you look at Steve Jobs, and when he's got Wozniak, he's brilliant. When Wozniak leaves the company, all of a sudden he's like in a tailspin, and everything's going to crap. 
He gets bounced out of his own company, goes and he finds John Lasseter, starts Pixar. Everything goes back the other way. Basically, whenever he had a good COO, everything worked. And when he didn't, he was just a raging. <laughs> and what I realized was, I was like, why don't they talk about the contribution that Wozniak made or the contribution that Tim Cook made? Because they kind of get swept under the carpet. Because they're not sexy. Well, they're not CEOs, which is like, you want to be the guy, not the guy helping the guy. But here's the deal. It's like, as somebody who is a CEO, I know. like, So I, I'm lucky I have two. One's my wife and the other one's my head developer also a female, and without them, I would be completely lost. I couldn't do a thing. So this is when the pattern collided in my head. I found out that I, I have a bunch of friends who are artists, and some of them are commercially successful to the point where they make a living selling prints of their own stuff, which is where everybody wants to be. So all they do all day long is they paint what they want, they sell prints of it, which is like that as an artist, is that's it. That's the end game right there. And they introduced me to a bunch of other famous artists, including one gal uh, named Rowena, who does a lot of, uh, covers for science fiction novels like she's super super famous and uh, we were talking about all this and she said yeah I can't wait to get to that stage she's way more famous than these guys are uh, male or female but uh, she's not there yet and I told her I was like so I got this theory I've been working on uh, do you have a COO and she's like you know I don't she's like I had a guy for a while who was helping me out uh, for a couple of years and during those two years things were like going up and to the right it was working out really well but he moved on to another thing and things just went right, right back down again and so the thing in common from the other artists who were successful was they married, in their case, because that's cheap labor, they married a spouse who basically was able to do the thing they weren't good at. And in some cases, the, the lead was the COO and he did an idea person. But the upshot was the most important thing I learned in MBA school was is that you cannot have a successful business without a CEO and a COO that are both functional and working in tandem. And if you have only one of those, it will not work. Now, I got challenged on that by a friend of mine who runs Y Combinator. And he said, well, he's like, I know people that come in to Y Combinator. And yeah, it's just them. We don't see anybody else. And I said, well, if I had to guess, if you don't see the other person, it's the spouse. And so he went back and checked on all that. And he's like, yeah, he came back to me later. He's like, yeah, actually, that's that's it. I so like you your gotta, theory. I'm you not going to lie You need about two it. people. You need, you need leadership Why and ideas. It? You need organization. And leadership is only the ability to make a decision when nobody else will, having no idea if it's right or not. That's leadership, which is ridiculous, but it's true. Well, for those of you who don't know, actually, I do have a lovely producer who happens to be a female, and she is, in fact, the rock that keeps this lovely ship. Yeah, so you already know. Oh, of course. <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing. You can be an idea man, but there are holes that you cannot fill because of the, the giftings that you have. Yeah, I and, don't know anybody who can do the entire package, and in fact, I'm at this point, I'm completely convinced that nobody can. Speaking of things that people don't like to talk about, let me bring up Bill Cosby. Yes, I don't mind talking about Bill Cosby. Okay, I it's kind of a, you know, because as someone who considers himself to be somewhat of a comedian, I'm very close to the subject in the sense that, you know. Well, you haven't raped 20 people, have you? Because if. No, no, I've, well, not, I've, not, I've not been that close. You've not been that close. So is the internet hurting him? Is it his fault? Do we know? If we don't know, should the internet stay away? Can we help but not stay away? What should we do? Well, it's hard to say on that one. So here's the problem is, is like, I would allow for the fact that maybe you might get falsely accused of doing sexual harassment and or something else once. And only maybe because, uh, well, anyway, but that's, that's my theory. Maybe once, 20 times, eh, I don't think there's a mistake there anymore. You know, I mean, I can't prove it. I don't know the guy, but if you got 20 allegations racked up over the course of 40 years, it's like, well... You know, I don't know if anything happened or not, but I think the, the preponderance of uh, evidence is going to suggest that something bad's going on there. So as far as like, you know, is, is it's hurting him? Yeah, probably. Does he deserve it? Ah, there's well, there's too many accusations. It's Jerry Sandusky all over again. 
But what do we do when these allegations, any allegations, you know, surface on the internet now, it just, with the, as you so rightly mentioned, the 24-hour news cycle perpetuates these sort of things, whether they be true or not. I mean, obviously, there are some legs to this Cosby story, and that's that's sad, but if it's true, that's horrible. Like I said, 20 allegations over 40 years, there's probably something going on. I mean, pretty much got to call it at that point. However, to give a good counterexample to your point, though, uh, the uh, the attempt for the internet to try to figure out who did the Boston Marathon bombings by, you know, looking at photographs and then accidentally flagging the wrong people multiple times. Multiple times, which impeded law enforcement. That is the problem that you're talking about. And that's a situation where those people were completely innocent, had nothing to do with anything. Uh, yeah, that's the thing I worry about there, too, because uh, that is where the internet kind of gets out of control. There's nobody to stop it, though, I don't think. I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Don't get me wrong. If I come up with a solution, I'll be the first to yell it out. But it's one of those deals where that's what we're kind of stuck with right now. And again, it's the problem with crowds. You know, they're going to do what they want to do and they're idiots. Uh, you know, I don't really know. Other than the people who are running the websites that attempt to do this, uh, stepping in and blocking the crowds from using their platform as the jumping off point to, you know, try to indict people in, you know, on one offs where it's not clear that they actually did the thing. You know, other than that, them, the, the owners of the platform stepping in, I'm not really sure what can be done at this point, but I have a feeling this will evolve in the next five to 10 years. Well, and doesn't that in all give the owners of the platforms unprecedented power over... Yes. Inf- okay. It does, and in, in a very scary way. So if you had to say what the root of all evil is, what would it be? Venture capitalists? Uh, no, I'd say it's... Um, I'd say it's pulling the trigger too early. Go on. Uh, for just about everything. Actually, no. I'd say there's one. There's one. There's, there's one. There's one before that. Actually, it's not knowing why people not knowing why they're doing stuff is the root of all evil. So not knowing what you're doing is the root of all evil. Yeah, and not knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Is ah, the okay. So uh, I I run into this all the time with uh, these are the people that give MBAs a bad rap because they are the rule followers. They're more like um, one of my professors told me. I was asking to explain who these people are. And he said, yeah, so it's the ones that come in go, okay, so from like, give me the 10 steps to going from this class right now to becoming a CEO. And I'll do them and I'll follow your rules. And yeah. there we go. And, he, and they'll be like, well, there that doesn't exist. And they go, okay. Yeah. So anyway, what are they? And so it's the people who, um, remember I was talking earlier about how, uh, my, the way my path in life has always been sort of like backing into stuff. Like I see something going a certain way. Sure. Well, the reason why is cause I don't, I don't fight it. I, I, uh, everybody's got a plan for their life and a thing they think that they're good at, but it might be the case that the thing you think you're good at, as long as you like it, you're in good shape. But a lot of people never gave thought to why they want to do the thing that they want to do. So just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, so like my deal is like, so I can, like I could poke a hole in this drywall of my head by banging my head into it, but that's not the best way to actually make a hole in that drywall. I should go get a hammer or something like that. So just because I'm capable doesn't mean it's, it's a, something I should do. And a lot of people get caught up in these things where, I mean, granted, you know, because part of the problem is when you're a kid, especially in high school, you're, requ- you're required to have an answer for where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? But my thing was like, well, I don't know. Well, that was, that was not what anybody wanted to hear. And it, it, if you think about it, the rest of your life, it goes the same way. When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? What are you going to do next? It's like, these are questions nobody has an answer to. But what happens is, is that eventually you feel compelled to come up with one. And so people get into these tracks. It's the bucket list thing. 
where they get on these tracks where it's like they do this thing because they think they're supposed to do it. And that is the root of all evil because that's what makes people unhappy. People get too hung up on the things they think they're supposed to be doing without thinking about it. And nobody ever sits back and think, you know, why, why is it that I want to do this? You know, if you want to do it because it's fun, that's easy. But everything else, like any other answer, you really should question what's going on. Absolutely. And I feel like you spent a lot of your life, at least earlier years, searching. You went to Nottingham. Seriously, I have to ask, was there a sheriff? And when he was he as mean as everyone says he was? Uh, there was a sheriff. At the time, he was black, which was interesting. The first black sheriff of Nottingham. I never met the guy. You don't think about a black sheriff of Nottingham. No, and I, yeah, they have it. It's an elected official. Uh, I think they vote him every couple of years, So, but I don't know who's doing it now. I haven't been back in a while, actually. It's only been about five or six years. Favorite beer? Uh, today, it's my own beer. You're a craft brewer as well, sir. Yeah, sort So of. thanks for bringing some over. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I should have thought of that, actually, now that I think about it. Well, we got bourbon, so. That's true. There Thank you go. to my producer for supplying the bourbon. Well yep. played, madam. It is, it is fantastic. Hmm. It is good, isn't it? Yes. I don't know. I'm not getting paid to mention it, but I should say it's Weller. Yes. Uh, which is just uh, delightful. Yeah, it's actually the same mash bill as Pappy Van Winkle, which most people don't know. Oh, it's on the internet. No, you can find stop. it. stop. I know. <laughs> I feel it's my own secret. Yes, yes. But it's not my own. No, people know. Speaking of the internet, when we visited your book, It's Not News, It's Fark, it was 2007 when you wrote it. Right. And I, I recently reread it. And I must say, sir, that your predictions almost to a T have, have come to pass. Yeah. Uh, everything from what news does to how local news media strategize and have stayed afloat in a burgeoning global economy where they are at odds with news sources with much more yep. uh, palatable uh, prospects and, 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 and funds. Was this a prophecy? Uh, by complete accident, yes. Talk to me about accident. Well, it was not intended to be, but basically I was saying, you know, uh, if I had to guess what's going to happen going forward, here it is. Because uh, it was already in play was the thing. I mean, I was I was talking about stuff I was observing then. So I wasn't guessing. I was like, this seems to be happening. From, from the very structure of how marketing and ads are used to the very way that news media continues to do what they do to feed the 24-hour news cycle. I mean, truly, and I hate this phrase beyond all belief, but I must use it on point, sir. Yeah, well, like I said, it was a complete accident. Um, it was, like I was just say, talking about what I was seeing. And at the time, remember, too, in 2007, I mean, it's not like they've got it sorted out yet either, but the, the trend was pretty clear. I mean, it was heading in that direction. There was no doubt where it was going to go. So is journalism as such dead? Um, maybe, but here's the problem, I think. What's actually happening is I think that uh, what we think of as good journalism was actually an aberration. Because if you look at 19th century news outlets, they look a lot like what we've got today. Actually more so than the early 20th century. Yes, exactly. And the thing that you did uh, that got in the way was uh, wars. So as, it turns out, as they often do. Yeah, well, so what, what wars do to, to media is, is that all of a sudden the government gets involved. The sinking just... of the main, the main. Exactly. Well, actually, that was a war caused by journalism or bad journalism. Oh, that Pulitzer. He was a devil in exactly. black and white. Mm. Sold a ton of newspapers. Come on. War. Little yellow journalism never hurt anybody. Yeah, except that time. Oops. Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen again, honestly, because uh, that, that's. I think it's in play again now. I mean, not, nobody's doing it yet, but it could happen. I'm just surprised that it really hasn't been used for anything else that we've done. I mean, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, 
Libya. I mean, we could have used it in a Actually, myriad of ways. Actually, you know, you know where it's at, though? It's in financial media. Go on. So I've noticed a really disturbing trend of articles that are complete bullshit ending, ending the news cycle on the Friday when options expire on the stock market. Uh, they get completely backed out later. Like completely absurd. The reason why options expiring matter is because that's the day when you can make a ton of money. I mean, I could go into the reasons why, but just take my word for it. You can make a ton of money if something surprising happened and they had to flip back the other direction. And so you see people, there's so much stuff entering the news cycle that, I mean, I, the only conclusion I can draw is that it's being paid. Like, and not to news organizations, I think to individual journalists at the uh, national level, because I can't figure out what else it could be. One of the things about journalism that I've noticed is I think we're re just reverting back to normal is what's happening in the cycle. Like, so it, it sucks that there isn't any good journalism out there, but I don't think that it's possible to exist without some other outside influence. Well, and that's what you say, that people don't really want that. And here's the thing. Uh, but on a content perspective, that's correct. That's what they need. If somebody can deliver context on top of it, like that's the unlock right there. You could do good journalism if you can tell people why they should care about stuff, but only if. And that that voice needs, as Cronkite so delightfully you know, put forth, uh, you know, it needs a voice. It needs yeah. a person to and do that. John Oliver seems to be going that route. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Like, I don't know that they're going to stay the course on that because that's not necessarily their mission. But if they did, that would be kind of fascinating. Well, I mean, at some point he may run out of issues in the sense that he's tackling some big issues. Oh, like right. Guns. Yeah. Nah, I bet know, not. I mean, because uh, Penn and Teller's bullshit is still on the air and, you know, they haven't run out of stuff. And, you know, and that's another voice. And why is it the comedians are actually the voice of reason and truth in a society that has at its disposable almost every means possible to grasping what actual truth may or may not be. I, I think it has to do with what we were talking about with context. Like one of the things that I love about comedians is they're the only people that ever change anybody's mind about politics. Anything. It's the only time it ever happened. If you have a, get an argument of politics with a friend in a bar, you're not going to change their mind, but you'll go to a, see a comedian and somebody will just, I, I call it an unlock, or it's a turn of a phrase where they're like, oh, well, but how about this? And you're like, oh, got it. Ding, never mind. And comedians are really good at that because you're not there to hear a political message. You're here to laugh. And sometimes a political message gets tacked on and goes into your brain. But um, I think that's what happens on uh, with, with Farquaad's is that, you know, because we have we have people from both sides of the political spectrum because we're here to laugh. And I think that comedians have the same advantage. You finally have a way to reach people on both sides of the spectrum and what you did. And they don't, they're not there to change anybody's mind either. And so that's why I think it works. Like when you're trying, if you're having a debate with somebody in politics, you're trying to change their mind, they're trying to change yours, probably. If you're listening to a comedian, you're there to laugh, and occasionally something will get suckered right in, it'll curveball right through your brain. So speaking of your website, speaking of FARC.com, you do not reappropriate the news. No. You do not make fake news like The Onion. Right. But you just use news that is inherently codified with some brand of humor. Yeah. Well, sort of. I mean, we also do um, – so what's weird is is that uh, a, a lot of times people, too, take a glance at it and think that we're only doing funny news. We're actually not. I mean, there's a lot of that on there. But we also do mainstream. Like, if anything important happens, we put that up, too. That's just really rare. Like, there's rarely a day when something important happens. Usually, like, there's – it's mostly almost all the time. That's what CNN should actually change their name to is mostly. Why don't we just call it the BSNN? Uh, you know, they should. They absolutely should do that. I completely agree. Or just the BSN. Yeah. 
I would be I would subscribe to that. No, yeah, no. Yeah. And isn't it just and here's what I like about comedians, my ilk. The fact that we will just call you know yeah. like, that's yeah but in an interesting way like so i went and saw one of my favorite comedians too wanda sykes though uh i saw her at the palace on saturday and she had a great one too she was talking about like you know she's like does anybody understand why the republicans won the last election and she's like because like the economy's doing better more people are employed than have been in a while things are mostly looking up and we don't want any more of that you know it's just like yeah that's that's a really good one. this was sticking in my head all week do you know where she got that joke i don't david letterman ah good i hope so no seriously dave came out with that about three weeks ago oh nice very good yeah no i mean and that is a that is a substantive joke and that's why i like david letterman it is yeah well it's also fairly obvious too i mean i don't know that anybody copied it or if everybody else you can kind of figure that one out well and that's the thing about comedy and i would imagine it bleeds into your work as well what is intellectual property? What is unique and original idea? I mean, nothing new is new. Right. It's all a reappropriation of something. But, you know, in my stance, and this is my own philosophy, it's can you take a joke and put it into your voice? Now, I'm not saying to steal material. Right, right, But, yeah. but like a topic, like daylight savings time, for yeah. example. Okay, there are lots of different angles to daylight savings time. But you could do it in your voice, my producer could do it in her voice, and I could do it in my voice. If we can come at the same topic, but put our own spin on it, put our own voices on it, mm-hmm. then that's different. I mean, people really lambast Carlos Mencia a lot, yeah, right? right? Because he, you know, but here's the thing that Carlos Mencia does is, he, it doesn't matter if he takes your joke. What he's done is he's made it his joke by putting it in his voice. Yeah. And the thing is, does voice matter? Is it enough to say, this is now mine? I think it works. I think there is there's some way that they could then like include like, hey, so in this act that I did, here's the people that I got the original material from. Because what they want is, if, every time they see Carlos Messia do a joke that kills, if it's theirs... The really what they actually want, I mean, I live this because basically, you know, FARC is the same thing. We got a lot of people live material, but I've, I've learned to live with it. I don't care. But what you want is like when somebody who's awesome, who's at a, at a much higher level than you does that, just being able to mention that they did that would help your career out so much. It's unreal. And there, there isn't a mechanism for this, actually. On the Internet, they've tried to use a mechanism called a hat tip. Um, Gawker does it a lot. They actually, I think Gawker may have come up with it. I mean, maybe they copied it from somebody else, but I noticed it when they started using, they would always hat tip us because they found an article on our site. And to me, I was just like, thanks. I mean, that's exactly all I needed. You know, no complaints whatsoever. That's to be able to do the hat tip is enough notoriety to, to make it worth my while. And if it's a way to do that for comedians also, that would be fantastic. And doesn't that say something to human nature that oftentimes the only compensation that people really need or would like is simply a tip of the hat? Yeah. Well, and it, it, it works, though, too, because so what, what we actually want is like, you know, I don't care if people steal 90% of the material that I put up on a daily basis. If they just say they got it from me, that's perfect. I don't care. Right. But also the material you're putting up, you didn't write. No, except for the inflection, though. I see. Yeah. The, the contextual overlay is what people are stealing, the why you should care. That's what they grab. But stealing is too strong a word. I'm actually glad people take it. It's fine. I have no issue with that at all. But you're also being paid via your website, though, yeah. through advertising and other sort of means. Sure. So you're able to make a living and a livelihood. It's uh, But it's one of those things where, like, the actual, like, the, the, the pass on, it's like just to the, the social juice, I guess, like the virality, like, that's what you're looking for. Like, that's what you need. And the reason why is not because that's what you get gratification from. But that's where future success comes from. So journalism, sir, is it dead? Did we come down on a definitive? 
Um, it is if people can't explain why anybody should care. And I don't see it yet, but it's an open market segment. I mean, like if you wanted to absolutely kill it by starting a news website or a news organization, if you could just solve that problem, you're good. Here's the thing. It's hard. Nobody wants to address it. But boy, if you could, it's game on. And another problem when we talk about things being hard and content put together, patent trolls. Yes. I know you're a big fan of sticking it to the patent trolls. Oh, yeah. So you have actually, maybe not as stridently as other podcasters have, um, but you have, I'm thinking of Adam Carolla. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Adam Carolla has gone after patent trolls quite vociferously. I was helping a lot behind the scenes, by the way. Now, I know... I know some of the situation there. How is Adam faring right now? Where are we in that process? Uh, they are essentially winning. They got the patent troll to beg to let him out of the uh, the lawsuit. Um, I sort of nailed down. It was it was a question that they asked me. Um, so it turns out his partner is an attorney, and he asked me. He said, "So in your in the talk you gave at TED a few years ago, you said the 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 key to getting out is you don't uh, you don't attack the patent. You deny that you're infringing." And he said, so how are we not infringing? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. So I went and read the patent and I actually figured it out. Um, and I figured it out actually because uh, I read the liner notes. So this isn't in the patent. Um, it turns out it's basically, it's, it's extra information that the patent clerk at the patent office gave for why they allowed this patent to go through. And he said, and this was a pretty good clue. So the patent was supposedly on podcasting. And the problem was, is that, well, you know, if that actually ends up being the case, that means anybody who podcasts, is potentially liable because if you're infringed, whether you do it intentionally or not. But the liner notes said the reason why they allowed it was the they thought that the innovation was there's a downloadable list part of the patent. So the patent basically says that it was a uh, it wasn't necessarily podcasting. It was basically it was it was downloading an episodic list of content to uh, either podcast or video, actually, as it turns out. But they went after podcasters because it was easy. The downloadable list was the key. And it turned out that none of the people in the lawsuit that Corolla was named in, um, including like um, uh, Mark Marin and a bunch of other guys, knew why they were in there because it wasn't like they searched Google. You have said, sir, that the world today is bad, but not really worse than it ever has been. Right. Do you still stand by it? I do. Um, in fact, I think it's better than go, it was. Go on. Yeah. Well, so here's a weird thing. I, I got stuck in Atlanta last year in April. Um, I was flying, trying to fly home during that ice storm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I got stuck. And I was like, well, okay, crap. So the, I, I was trying to fly to D.C. It didn't work out. Flight got canceled. Tried to rebook on the last flight out to Lexington. Flight got canceled. So it's 1230 at night. And I'm like, well, all right, fine. So I pull my phone out. And uh, so the first thing I know is that I'm flying on Delta. And Delta automatically rebooks you. So I pull my Delta app up. And it says, you're flying out tomorrow at 930. Okay, that's done. And as I'm walking by the line of 5,000 people trying to rebook flights at a desk because they didn't, they didn't know that they automatically rebooked. So I walk past all these guys, get into the subway going down to get out of the terminal, uh, book an Uber because I'm like, you know, I'm not going to wait in line for a damn taxi cab. So I get that thing called. So they're like, great, me in two minutes. So I'm like, okay, fine. So then I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to go on Priceline and find a hotel because I got to crash for seven hours. So I do that. I had to book five times because first hotel, like, oh, sorry, we're booked. Second hotel, sorry, we're booked. Fifth hotel, it was, I had a room, hit that. Do you want the early, ch easy check-in option? Basically, I walk in, I wave at them, they hand me my key, I go to bed. I'm like, yes, I'm done. So as I walk out of the, the, the train that takes me to the front of the terminal, I walk past the 3,000 people in line for cabs, step into the Uber that I called for, drives me to the hotel I got, 
Walk up to the desk and pick up keys. I wave at him and I go the fuck to bed. Here's the thing. Think about 1995. 1995, you get trapped in Atlanta at 12:30 at night because there's an ice storm. What are you gonna do? You're just gonna go to you're gonna sleep on a couch. You're not gonna bother with that crap because there's no point in trying to call you. you rebooking is gonna be 5,000 people, 10,000 people because all those other people that couldn't do what I did are gonna be in that line also. Get in a cab line. What are they gonna drive you around to every hotel in downtown Atlanta? I mean that's ridiculous. The upshot is is that. I had all that crap sorted out within 45 seconds of that absolute calamity happening. And that's not the only example I could pull out of my uh, my repertoire of why things are much better than they ever were. We live in the future. It's not bad. And we even have hoverboards now. So, I mean, yeah, that. Yeah, we got driverless cars. I mean, there's really good things going on. At the end of every episode, we offer our guests the opportunity to say anything they want to to the audience to to unleash a, a torrent of wisdom, and you've already done that. Or, or humor, any thoughts uh, to share that you'd like to send to our uh, listening audience? I don't know that I have a torrent of wisdom, but I would say this: if anybody emails me with a question, I will plausibly answer it or lie, and it will be convincing either way. Where can they find you? It's uh, Drew at Fark.com. Just uh, drop me an email, and I'll answer it. Well, my friends, we have been sitting here with Drew Curtis from FARC.com. Thanks for listening, and we will be right back right after this. Here at the Buddhaverse, we'd like to thank Drew Curtis for being on the show. We'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny for all the work they do in getting the show off the ground. And of course, to Quadrants for composing our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, we're everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, you can find me on Pinterest because, you know... Men should be on Pinterest? Buddha. Interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Buddhaverse is always a click away.